Welcome to the Experimental Aircraft Channel podcast and video podcast series, where we talk with our guests about experimental, light sport, and ultralight aviation. We are just getting started with this, so if the audio isn't 100% just yet, bear with us. Perfection is coming. Let's jump right into the interview. All right, everyone, thank you for joining again today for this kind of virtual experience here on Zoom. Uh, being that we are all social isolation and social distancing, I want to keep everybody connected in the aviation community. And today we have uh, Kevin Quinn available to talk to us about aviation. So I want to invite him on to the Experimental Aircraft Channel and talk about a few things. Kevin, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I love what you're doing. It's it's an awesome deal and uh, it's another outlet for aviation and we need it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so one of the things I want to start off with, just because uh, kind of how I got to know you through YouTube, as many of us do these days in aviation, uh, that kind of blew my mind is that you went out and set this world Guinness World Record for the longest water skiing. And just kind of curious, like, how did you come up with that idea? Were you just out flying around, you know, and I'm like, hey, let's just nobody's done this. Let's just create a new record. And then you just went on and on and on and so long that nobody would ever touch that record again. I call it one of life's dumbest stunts, honestly. You know, it's, there's this perception of water skiing and it's this radical far out, you know, form of flying. But the reality is, is that it goes on day in and day out in the outback, in the backcountry, the wilds of Alaska, you name it, where if you need to get into somewhere short, water is another tool that you can use to access that short beach. Not to say that you can't probably land on that short beach without using the water, but there are scenarios where it's a no-go around. You need to slow down. You need to use the water to slow that aircraft energy drown. Come on up to the beach, shut her down. Real simple, and you can use that water technique the same way taking off as you can to land. Again, it's not something that I encourage folks to do, and I'll talk about the water skiing in a second, but the harsh reality is, is that 90% of the places you go, you don't need to water ski. But I tell people, and I have the same conversation with the FAA, is that you know, being a, a backcountry flight instructor, so to speak, people call me all the time, hey, I want you to teach me how to water ski. I'm more interested in teaching them power and energy management at you know, 1,500, 2,000 AGL above the ground so they have the understanding of how to control an aircraft before we ever get down low and level and work on some hydroplaning techniques. And, and it's not something I do with just anybody or everybody. They've, they've got to prove that they're even worthy of such. Because like I said, beginning 99% of those folks can land on that beach safely. You don't need to deal with the water. It is dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. I would imagine you do have to have a certain basic skill set to be able to act, react quickly in that situation. Tool for what we're doing. So, so this whole water ski thing around Lake Tahoe, I've dubbed it now, you know, probably everybody calls me by my last name, but I call it Quinter's last or Quinter's, Quinter's dumb stunt because it, it, it was 10 plus years ago. I was 10 years younger than I am now. I'm 50 years old. Um, so, so you were still, so you were still 10 feet tall and bulletproof and 40, huh? I was 10 feet tall, bulletproof. I had six, 7,000 hours of fly time. I've been flying since I was a little kid, but the big picture is that I had a fellow with an aircraft, a helicopter, and he's in the movie making business. He says, I've got this helicopter with X amount of time already paid on it. I've got the Tyler mount, the floor cam set up with the red. We'd love to come film some of this bush flying. So we're headed east into the, the deserts of Nevada from Truckee Lake Tahoe area. 
And of course, Lake Tahoe's underneath us. And he said, Hey, would you have any interest to dip your tires real quick? Oh, heck no. You know, that would be a neat little shot. So I go down and I drop in over the ridge as you leave Truckee across 267 into the lake, over the Tahoe Biltmore, and land right in front of Incline on the water. This helicopter's flying around me. And of course, now we've got a handful of other buddies that have shown up that were going east into the desert to go film some backcountry flying with this helicopter. Well, we're doing this sidestep where now I'm on the water doing this little water ski thing, thinking it's going to be two, three, four minutes. Well, if you know much about Lake Tahoe, there's a bend in the terrain and now I got to go down East shore. And so I turn and make this corner and I find myself now I'm on the water for 10, 15 minutes thinking, God, I'm almost to South Lake. I just, I'm going to keep going boys. South Lake's still another 10, 12 miles up. <laughs> And so, you know, I'm talking and coordinating and I've got Trent on one wing and Toby and Sloan and others on, on opposite wings. And we're all side by side. The camera guy on the helicopter is just, he's, I've never seen anything like this. And I'm down on the water doing my thing, taking pictures of everybody else. And uh, I hit South Shore and think, God, I'm going to go up West Shore. Well, why not? This is kind of fun. And it sort of evolved. And so we didn't go out with the idea I was going to go do this crazy water ski thing and who knows if people have done it, you know, people have been water skiing forever are being from Alaska. I think I want to go to Lake Eliamna and I would love to run at Lake Eliamna all the way around its circumference. Cause that's three or four Lake Tahoe's. And then I get this crazy idea, man, can you imagine starting in Seattle and running down the coast of California? And I mean, ideas that would probably never, never happen, but my brain thinks like that. Right. And uh, I love the idea of pulling into a big wave and this big massive barrel. Cause I surf in my other life and, pull the wave and come down this line with your wheels on the water and this big wave chasing you. And I mean, I think like that. Orville and Wilbur probably thought the same thing. Imagine if we had these wings and we jumped, and, you know, and so right. Some, some out of the box thinking there. Yeah, so this wasn't reality. So this wasn't really a planned thing. It just, you had uh, kind of a helicopter in tow and you're there and uh, people start joining you like, and then you had the video proof that you did it. It, and then it kinda... evolved. It really did. It just evolved into what it was. And we cool. ended up doing three quarters of the circumference of Lake Tahoe. And so if anybody ever came back to try to beat it, I'd go and do the full circumference. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's really cool. I mean, for anybody to go out to set a world record in anything, you know, you have to dream it up first. And that's, that's kind of half the battle. So, and that's and a really... It literally evolved into that. You know, there was no... There was no... Uh, idea i'm going to go out and create this world record it, it was we dipped the tires in the water for a couple minutes next thing you know it's 10 minutes next thing you know it's 20 next thing you know it's almost an hour and i'm three quarters of the way around lake tahoe and so that's the story and that's the reality and it keeps popping up and it comes up in conversations and sometimes i just oh god there it is again and you know because it's not i'm about safety my life is about safety and making safe decisions Okay. And uh, it's kind of funny. This was a couple of years pre my CFI. And when I went to go get my CFI, oh, you can imagine the local FISDO. Kevin Quinn wants to get a CFI. This is going to be interesting. And the big thing was about what is Kevin Quinn's decision making in real life really about. Right. And so once they get to know me, you know, there's this perception struggled in the very get beginning flying cowboys what, what is a flying cowboy you know what are we a bunch of loose bandits you're, you're a maverick right gotta watch out for you maverick you know and yeah i've done everything in my life to do the exact opposite of that if you were to come to the high sierra flying or see how we are with stole drag or 
visit me with my real life profession as a professional heli ski guide in Alaska and doing 50 guests a week for, for three months. People's lives are at stake and I live in an area that's black or white. There is no gray area and sure. you've got to make sure that you toe those lines. And so I'm really big on that. So when this water ski thing shows up, it, I cringe, you know, the little, the, the person inside of me, I'm just like, Oh, I just, and then I have to elaborate and explain and tell and make sure people walk away with the idea that they're not going to go water skiing when they're done talking. to me. <laughs> right. Right. Good. Well, thank you for clarifying that. But at the same time, that's really, really awesome. Uh, Thing to do there to have a, a world record doing that made so, some incredible imagery yeah yeah i mean I, i've i've seen the video several times myself now now let's roll uh, into a couple of other questions uh just to clarify like where where do you live and are you seasonal between where you work and where you live you know i'm a resident of alaska i have my businesses in alaska i was raised in alaska uh went to turnigan romig west high school up there uh, got my pilot's license at a young age up there as part of the Alaska Professional Hunters Association, worked uh, as a hunting guide, fishing guide, that whole scenario, and started, uh, left home at an early age to go play professional ice hockey, which is a whole nother story. But sticking to your subject, you know, I, I reside between Alaska, Lake Tahoe, and I have a house in Hawaii. And so depending on which way the wind's blowing, it's where you're going to find me. Gotcha. Gotcha. And do you That's have reality. like work available in each area or do you have your primary work in Alaska and then kind of float in between seasons? You know, work is what I'm on here, this computer, my cell phone and my credit card terminal. And so my office <laughs> can be wherever I show up because literally somebody uh, wants to go helicopter skiing. I talk to them on the phone, I send them an email and then I swipe their credit card and that could be wherever. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, my office is where we make it. I, sh I shouldn't take any of that credit because I'm the person that, that does the talking, but my wife is really the person behind the scenes that makes sure all our I's and T's are dotted and crossed. Behind every halfway decent guy, there's a great girl and I got a great one. Good teammate. Good to hear. Good to hear. If you're finding value in this video, hit the like button on this video and it's really important that you subscribe as it helps me get sponsors like Airworks, Kit Plane Parts, Acme Aero, Edge Performance Engines, and Viking Aircraft Engines. And be sure to check out the links in the description below for special offers from our affiliates. Let's jump back in. All right, so that's where you live. Uh, yeah, what, what do you do for a living, uh, this heli thing that you do, this adventurous thing that you do? My, my lifetime quest, what I do is to avoid a real job at all costs. I love it. And, and that's my job. I mean, my job is to, and I persuade and try to mentor and talk with people all the time about the power of positive thinking, immerse yourself into what it is you are. If, if you want to be a backcountry pilot, call yourself a backcountry pilot. You are a backcountry pilot. Now live it and breathe it. And guess what? All of a sudden here, six months down the road, you're going to find yourself in your social circle is going to be that. Everything you're doing is that. Holy moly, you're a backcountry pilot. Okay. If more people were able to capture that and visualize that and immerse themselves into exactly what it is they want to do and be, they could be that, you know? And so my real job is a professional adventurer. I'm a professional entrepreneur. Um, I've got a number of different businesses. We've, I'm into property management. I'm into guiding. I'm into the safety aspect of, but. That, that's awesome. Job, I was in the Bahamas one time. And the activity directors all wore these shirts on the back of their shirts that said playmaker. So yeah. that's what you are. You're, you're the playmaker. I call myself an adventure specialist. Okay. 
So we take people to Antarctica, we take them to Alaska, we take them surfing, we take them and send them to the Atlas Mountains in Morocco, skiing. It's, we set people up for trips of their lifetime. And what really, you know, to go back to your question, I, I started a heli ski operation when I was 28 years old. I just finished playing professional hockey, which again is another conversation, but I didn't make it to the highest tier. I was in the bus leagues playing what you would consider double and triple A baseball, fighting all the time growing up ski racing and playing hockey, it's what I did. And I thought, man, oh man, being part of the, the hunting and fishing opportunities I had as a kid with my family having hunting and fishing lodges in Alaska, it was sort of the next step for me to roll into this idea of, man, I could start a heli ski operation. I, I know I can. And why can't we, you know? And so that evolved now 23 years running it's become the largest heli ski operation in the United States. We've been in the Warren Miller ski movies 17 of our 23 years. And it's just turned into something I never thought imaginable. And the real reality with that is that you get all these people that come from all over the world to visit you. Well, you're only as good as what you portray and what you deliver. You can have this beautiful website and this beautiful brochure that's all smoke and mirrors. But when they show up, if it's not what they see and it's not what you've told them, it's not going to go very far. So you're only as good as what you can tell people and then what you can give them when you show up. I'm, I'm, I'm no BS. It's what you see. I'm sometimes very good at putting my foot in my mouth because I say too much, but I'm very honest. <laughs> and the reality is, is that I started as a heli ski operation. These people that have come to, to trust us in their experience now want to know where to go next. And Points North evolved into basically like a tour company. Okay. Where now we're sending people to Antarctica and all these other places, Svalbard, Norway, and you name it. We, we send people all over the planet for the various trips because, once again, they trusted us with their initial recipe, and it's just gone from there. Awesome. Reputation, reputation. Yeah. It's kind of neat because I have this, this flying world, and then I have this other world where I played professional hockey, and then I have this ski world, which is really my professional life as well. And a lot of the folks that I associate in the ski world have no idea that I fly and or have no idea I played professional hockey. And so there's this circle that it's kind of neat where sometimes I have this alter alias that, that travels around and I'll go into a grocery store and I'm talking to this guy about skiing and I show up and I turn the corner. Now I'm talking about this guy who I just gave a flight lesson to and you wrap the corner and you meet somebody that you play men's pickup hockey with. And, you know, and so Keeps it interesting for sure. You didn't get a chance to change hats in between those conversations. I should have, you know, I've been set up. <laughs> well, that is awesome, Kevin. That is really awesome. It, it's just evolved. I feel very lucky. And again, you know, I'm a classic example of a high school dropout. I left high school in 10th grade to go play hockey. My dad said to me, he said, son, you're not going anywhere because I didn't raise no dummy. He says, you're going to go and at least get your GED. I'm not letting you do anything. So he forced me to go get my GED, then allowed me to leave high school so I could go play hockey. Because at that time I was questioning my teachers and wondering what the hell am I ever going to use fractions for? And to this day, I've still never had to use fractions until three days ago when I taught my daughter the difference between an improper fraction and a proper fraction. <laughs> I learned that on YouTube. And so here I am 50 <laughs> years old, you know, Googling how to work on fractions. If I'd only paid attention in 10th grade. <laughs> right, right. It's a revolving circle. Can, can I assume you're another ADD or ADHD? Oh my God, to the T and so okay. is my daughter. Right? All right, I, yeah. It, it runs rampant in my quick. family too. I, I see my daughter already with that and OCD. 
And it's just oh, yeah. like, I'll give you a quick, quick example of that. Maybe you can relate to this. This Christmas, I was going to plug in the tree. Really simple. I've got two plugs for the star and for the other lights, right? And one plug goes white and one was green. So I was plugging them in and she comes and she's like, daddy, wait, wait, wait. I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong? She's like, that one goes on top. I'm like, I looked at my wife. I'm like, are you hearing this? Are you hearing this? <laughs> one was white and one was green. And she thought that the white one had to go on top in I her mind. Yes. You know? So, I mean, she's not okay. even five yet. Okay. Anyway. My daughter's the same way. There's certain things that if it's not put back the way it's supposed, if it's not perfect. Yeah. Oh, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, they, they notice the for an hour. Yeah, they notice the details. Something's oh, yeah. out of place here. Yeah, you know? big time. That's big cool. Time. That's really cool. So tell me uh, the other the big thing that you've done here is how did the stole drag come together? Like in your mind, like were you out flying one day and just you, you just got in a competition right then and there and you're like, you know what, I I could make a thing out of this. Or how did that start? Honestly, it. It, uh, it's kind of an interesting story, and I've told it a couple different times, but with Stoll Drag in particular, um, it came from the High Sierra flying. High Sierra just evolved literally on my birthday. Uh, I thought, man, my birthday's October 18th, and so people always ask, what are the dates of High Sierra? And to the point now, I'm like, look, it's always around my birthday. It's not going to change. That's when it is. There's other reasons for that, but the reality is uh, – we were all flying around here in the Truckee Tahoe area, Northern Nevada. Uh, Northern Nevada itself, Northern California is Mecca for backcountry flying. It's Nevada in particular because of the BLM land, the vast landscape that we have and all the opportunities it provides us. There's nothing like it. The only places that I've found that are even close, honestly, are Alaska. Montana's not like that. Idaho's not like that. Washington's not. Utah's not not moab's not and you think about those places i just named they all have their designated strips idaho department of aviation runs their backcountry strips montana the same utah they've got all their designated strips whether you're going to mineral or caveman or whatever it is you that you're flying they're all strips and with the backcountry of Nevada and like that of the backcountry of Alaska, it's the same thing. It's, it's wide open. You can land and go play wherever you want. And so we started this little nucleus. There were four, five, six, eight, ten of us that started to grow, started to evolve. We're flying to the desert. And I said, hey, I, let's go out and uh, have a camp out this weekend. Well, we ended up with, I think, 10, 12 airplanes having a camp, down, or a camp out at this little desert lake bed called Three Shotgun Shells. Can imagine how it got its name. First time I landed there, there were three shotgun shells laying on the dry lake. But it was actually for trivia. If we ever had trivia one day, I keep thinking about some trivia on some of these other social media things. But it's three shotgun shells and a pair of shoes. That's the real name. Oh yeah, and oh, it makes sense why you get that. We we've got a small town. I would say twenty minutes from here. Literally, it's called Two Egg. Two so egg. yeah, I, I, that figure. happens. Two Egg. <laughs> <laughs> Two egg. Well, so anyway, we're at three shotgun shells and a pair of shoes camping for what we called my birthday party. Well, the second year comes around for my birthday. Hey, Quinter, let's go fly again. Let's do that. Let's head back out to three shotgun. Okay, cool. That party turned from the 10 or 12 that we had to about 30 or 40 okay. the next year. Okay. And so the next year we dubbed it, God, we should just this is our high Sierra flying. This is, this is it. You know, this is the high Sierra flying. And so we were at that lake bed for about 
four years outgrew itself real quick, like in four years, because as of the fourth season, we all of a sudden had 150, 200 people. Um, that lake bed, it outgrew itself. And there were some things that happened. I'm not sure if you're privy or aware of some of that stuff, but it doesn't even need to be discussed. But there were some things that made us have to move lake beds for the sake it just got small. Okay. just got small. And so I thought, man, we're getting big. I need this. And I should get a permit for this. There's a lot of airplanes, people I don't even know coming and hearing about this through the hearsay. All around the so world I, now. Right. Well, now 10 years later. And so after that fourth season, I went online, I started Googling, you know, Nevada land cheap, how to find dirt in Nevada, and what's for sale. And we ended up finding a big chunk of land just north of Reno, about 45 minutes fly time, same about 45 minutes fly time from where we are here. And it's an area that we used to skydive into all the time. We would fly a 185 out on amphibs. And we would jump into this dry lake bed and then we'd land and the amphibs would come down, land on the lake bed, pick us up, we'd pack our rigs. Well, one time we landed, dropped in, landed, and there was a dead cow laying on the desert floor where we'd been jumping. And so turns out we dubbed this lake bed dead cow lake bed. And so you can see where we're evolving. And so now we've evolved year five, show up for dead cow for the high Sierra fly-in. So, so just to clarify, did you purchase this property? I did. And okay. so that's private not, property. At, now. at this point we went out and so we started buying these 55 acre parcels for cheap from the ranch. That's oh four and a half miles across this lake bed. That's over on the Southwest corner of the lake bed. It's actually owned by Vidler water, which is the parent company to this ranch. And so Landed, went over to the ranch, just kind of a side note, and said, hey, you know, any property for sale? Oh, Vidler Water owns us and owns a bunch of ran. You should contact those guys. And, and so, again, through a whole lot of, you know, hoops and jumps, trying to figure out who owns what and where, and getting with the county, you start seeing these parcels, these 55-acre parcels. Well, we ended up to where we're at about 1,800 acres of land. Uh, either through personal use, uh, personal ownership, and or the neighbors saying, here, go ahead and you can utilize this land for a small fee, a lease, or just, you know, non-binding, just make it so that I don't have any liability. And so now we have access to literally 1,800 acres out there. The, there's four or five of us, actually six of us that own a whole bunch of the north portion. And just actually today, two hours before you and I spoke, I just got another 155 acres on that same area for 5,500 bucks, believe it or not. And uh, <laughs> so the land is growing exponentially. But, um, but so anyways, does anything grow? But does anything grow out there? Nothing grows except Nothing. pilots. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because this, this lake bed has been an area where, I mean, people have been going out there for years to train pilots. It's a big, wide open spance. There's the Dead Cow Lake Bed. It didn't have a name. People called it Flanagan, which is an old stagecoach stop, again, which is a whole other sidetrack story. Well, it so uh, sounds like an absolute perfect place to have awesome. an experimental aircraft company and go test fly airplanes in any direction. Awesome. It is absolutely awesome. I go and teach my students out there. It's the greatest place in the world for tailwheel transition because you can go north, south, east, or west, and everywhere in between, and you can get every kind of element you can imagine, whether you want headwind, crosswind, tailwind, you name it. You can get all those elements. Plus, you have the length and the distance where if a guy gets sideways or, or a little array, you know, he can get back on the tracks pretty easily and, and correct it and not run off the runway. Sure. So it's a great place for that. And so anyway – 
we get through High Sierra starts to be evolving. And I think now at about year six or so, because now we've had Stoll Drag, I want to say we've got five or six world champions now. Um, I'm literally, I've been taking part in these various Stoll contests and Stoll contests, you realize I'm full of side notes. <laughs> so here's another side note, you know, the Stoll contests are what they are. We're competing in the Stoll contests and we're, doing some at Mac Mesa, we're dabbing with it and we're going and now we've been invited to Oshkosh to be part of the Oshkosh uh, stole demo. And one thing leads to another and I'm sitting on this, on the toilet, literally in the morning and I'm going, how can stole be cooler? Like stole is cool. It's cool. I want to live it. We breathe it. We go back to that conversation we had earlier. You want to be a stole pilot? We'll be a stole pilot. Sure. Live it, breathe it. Yeah. So I'm living it. I'm breathing it and I'm finding myself bored. Take off really short, follow a guy around the pattern really slow, and you come in and you land really slow and you stop. Yeah. Wow, that was cool. Kind of. <laughs> Can I go land on that mountain real quick? I'll be back. We'll go, we'll do this again in a minute. I'm gonna go land short over here or up there. Sure. Yeah. So stole was cool. And it's very cool. It's it's what it is. But I'm sitting on the toilet going, what can we do to make this faster? Wait a second. People, people love racing. They love smoke. They love fire. Pilots are rednecks, loud music. They love their guns. You might Shoot offend dope. a few pilots saying that right now here, Kevin. What are you talking about? <laughs> pilots love loud fire, redneck, you know. I mean, we've got our others that like trees and they hug them and all that stuff. I'm that <laughs> way too. But but the harsh reality is they love that kind of excitement. They love NASCAR. and Sure. And so anyway, I thought, man, why don't we – I think we're going to, I'm going to, I want to race someone. I want to race someone to the far end because now you're going to have to slow up. Here comes the line. Oh, and this was before we were using these buzzwords of power and energy management and all that. I'm thinking, man, I got to slow up. I got to have a spot landing. There's directional control. Holy cow. Okay. We're not going to be able to turn in the sky and come back because that's dangerous. Yeah. The FAA is going to hate that. What can we do and what can we get away with? Let's, Let's do it just a race, a straightaway race to a complete stop on heading, but they got to make that line and see who wins. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's kind of dumb. Let's do it down. And then they got to come back because, you know, how are we going to start here? People want to see the short takeoff, but they also want to see the short landing. And so, yeah, let's do a down and back. Like, like an cool. old classic drag race, from like American graffiti, right? Or something. Exactly. Down yeah. and back. And, okay. And so we line them up wingtip to wingtip. We put cones down the center on your mark, get set, ready, set, see ya. And like they come on, the tails come up, the dust, the loud, you're side by side, ladies and gentlemen, and the crowd goes crazy off you go and so down they go at, and then at, and when we started we were doing we tried it at a mile we tried it at a half mile what we found was that at about 3,500 feet everybody was pretty close mm. side note now six years later we fine-tuned it even more to where 2,000 feet is the magic number to be able to work at air shows and now we're at Reno and whatnot but 2,000 feet's the magic number and it's brought everybody in whether you're in a Super Cub Highlander Carbon Cub, Kit Fox, you name it. Everybody's within two to three seconds. Gotcha. Two to three seconds is like that. And that comes back to pilot skill. And so did the pilot use his slip for energy management? Did he pull the throttle back at the right time? 
You watch Steve Henry and Toby Ashley are two of the very best of the best in their 300 plus horsepower nitrous driven spaceships is what I call them. Yeah. When I, when I went to go see Steve, I was quite impressed looking at his plane. He has these two plastic little plenums and like clear, like you have to really look to see it. I'm like, what the heck is that? He's like, Brian, that's for creating drag when I slip sideways. I'm like, that is awesome. Yes. You know? so, so now it's become inventive. Yeah. And, you know, we'll talk about Stoll Drag a little further here about what it's doing with pilots, but that's really how it evolved. Okay. And so we're out there doing this thing down and back and realizing that now after two years of this 3,500 feet, five years now later, uh, we'll go to even four years. I'm thinking, man, we're on to something because now at this point, the fly-in has taken now to where we're two, 3,000 people in the desert. You know, at that point, I think we we're at three or 400 airplanes. Just now in the last two, three years, we're at six, 800, 1,000 airplanes, four, five, 6,000 people. And that's an invitational, correct? Well, High Sierra, anybody and everybody can come. Reno okay. is invitational. Okay. Um, but not necessarily invitational because you got to qualify because now it's turned into, you know, there's, again, we'll get further in the road so people can understand how they can be part of it. But with Stoll Drag in particular, I think the fourth year of us doing it, I went to the folks at Reno because I've been a Reno Air Race fan since I was a little boy. And I went to the big wigs and said, uh, what's it going to take for you guys to come out and see me on my little dusty piece of dirt in the desert? We're racing airplanes, you know, and these old guys that are flying these Mustangs and Corsairs. And, sure, son, you know, <laughs> have a good day. We're flying Mustangs. You can take your little Super Cub and, well, it evolved. And I'm one of those folks that I don't let grass grow under my feet. I saw a fellow there named Fred Telling, who's the president of the TSIC class. He raised an eyebrow, and he's also one of the main directors for Reno. And he came back later and put his arm around me, and, and he, he says, I'd like to learn and be educated a little more about what you're talking about. I said, well, Fred, I'd like to invite you to come out. And so that year, Tony Logateta and Fred Telling came out to the lake bed, and they saw three, 4,000 spectators lined up. They saw airplanes as far as the eye can see. Right. The FAA was on scene and they thought, holy cow, son, we need this at Reno. We'd like for you to come this next year and present it to our board. And so I went to the board, presented it. They were still guarded and cautious and we still didn't get into Reno that next year. But what ended up happening is all of a sudden we had eight people plus every FAA federally within a thousand mile radius show up at High Sierra the next year. And they realized, you know, going back to what we talked about in the beginning, I don't live in a gray area, it's black and white. And uh, it's very black and white at High Sierra with the safety and the rules and all the stuff that we go through. And the FAA saw that, the Reno folks saw that, and they said, with all these fans, holy cow, these guys got their act together. This is incredible. They invited us to come. They said, Kevin, bring your, bring your dog and pony show to Reno. We want to have it. You're in charge. You're the president of this class. We're going to call it the Stoll class. This is your baby run. And so they made us jump through the hoops of creating all of our policies and procedures, our training documents, all of that stuff. And so now it got real. And I thought, man, I need some help with this. And I gathered some friends. I gathered my buddy uh, Jeremy Young at TAC Arrow, Corey Robin, Kyle Bushman, Johnny Walker, our Stole Rat crew, our Flying Cowboy crew. And next thing you know, we're we're all talking about ideas and, and rules and how we're going to make this thing evolve. And at the end of our first season in Reno, they accredited us. And we are now the first official new class at Reno in 22 years. The last class was the jet class. and We're the stole class at Reno. 
this September, we've got 30 plus thousand dollars in prize money for stole drag pilots that want to come and, and, and race the best of the best. And so now, again, as we continue to grow and through this growing process, we're creating new rules in our class that all of those that have been part of it are going to be helpful in, in coming up with the final, but not trying to reinvent the wheel. But what we're going to do is base classes on times like they do at Reno, the unlimited the gold and the bronze because we want the sky wagons and the 170s like cc pocock to be able to compete with the big boys but they're never going to be able to compete with the thousand pound 350 horsepower nitrous driven carbon cub by toby ashley or the yeah, sure. edge performance that steve henry's flying with nitrous they're never going to compete in that unlimited class unless they upgrade or even with like say if draco had competed or with Scrappy now coming out, you know, hey, hey, building. my plan is to show up with like a legal eagle with an edge performance Yamaha and you just, go. you know, send it. it <laughs> that puts you, you're going to be fast. And so now we have these classes to where the guys that are all, you know, five to seven seconds behind the Steve's, the Toby's, the Butch's, those guys are their class. And there's some other ones out there that are heavy. And then we've got our gold and we've got the bronze. And so everybody feels like they're doing stuff. And so it's not just the guy that's paying the big bucks to be in the unlimited. The little guy still is competitive and he can have a shot at, at earning top prize as well. Well, you know, like even in drag racing, right? They created the junior dragster class for kids, right? So yeah. we can we can do something like the Legal Eagle or something and have yeah. the go-kart version of <laughs> I, I think about that because kids are a massive part of what we're doing and what we're about. And that's okay. high Sierra. You know, that's what's unique about high Sierra. When you show up, I get people all the time. Is this a good place for, for me to bring my wife and my kids? Absolutely. Bring your wife and your kids because it's, it's the only flying that I've ever been to anywhere in the world. It's grown to be the largest backcountry flying in the world, but it's the only place I've ever really been that feels like a, a full family affair you've gone to these other fly-ins unless you're doing an oshkosh or sun and fun and that's not taking anything away from these other flying camps but it's dude camp just a yeah. bunch of guys rubbing elbows with each other talking about their big tires and their new tail wheels they got and check right. out my propeller and my motors and at high sierra you've got these gangs of kids running around the desert you've got all these wives hanging out telling their husbands what to do and I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's the, the largest it's aviation groupie group ever. Huh? Yeah, it's awesome. And, and like you alluded to a little bit ago, you know, I got a neat story this last year during the races and I, it's, I know you're tight on time, but I'll make it 30 seconds. We were in the midst of our race and all of a sudden this little car comes out of nowhere across the playa from the east. Well, on the playa, we have a south entry and a north entry. There is no east or west entry. And here comes this little car. It's a rental as it gets closer coming from the east. How he got in and around the barbed wire fence is another story in itself. But I, I stopped the race. There's 4,000 people watching. And I take off on my motor scooter to go track this guy down. Who, the, who is this guy driving onto our courses? We're running a race. He's a little Asian fella that's come from somewhere Asia doesn't speak of a lick of English. Uh, and all he says, I'm so sorry, so sorry. I look for Steve Henry. I, I buy Highlander. I told that story that night by the campfire in front of a couple thousand people and it, people roared and I'm drawing a blank on the gentleman's name, but he was such a, a unique character and, and the fact that this fly in and like the exploits of Steve Henry and others, what they're putting out there to draw that kind of folk. 
It's what it's about. That's why we're doing it, you know. And we had a huge gathering from Israel. We had folks from Germany, Australia, Australia, New Zealand. All points now are covered, and we we have them coming from all over the world to come see us at the High Sierra. And man, oh man, I'm tickled pink to be able to offer that to folks. That is awesome. Well, I've never made it out that way. Just being so far west, I was born and raised in Florida. I haven't really ventured out too far. I mean, uh, as far as living goes, but uh, yeah, maybe this year I'll make it out there to check it out. Love to Uh, have you. Hopefully everything, hopefully we can meet and let's open air, right? We should be able to meet in open air out there by then, but. I could be a conspiracy conspiracy theorist real easy. Don't get me started. (laughs) Me too. Maybe we'll have that off camera conversation about that then. Yes. Well, let's roll right into that then. Uh, So what do you think uh, is the future of aviation? um, Let's say the future of aviation, because that's we can't predict that at the moment. But how can people stay engaged during this crisis and keep aviation healthy and alive during this time? Do you think I I think, you know, first and foremost, they can still go fly their airplanes. You know, Mm -hmm. that's your God given right. Go train, go do smart things. We're all Hey, we're pilots. We're smart, right? That's what I tell my friends. <laughs> we tell we ourselves. Can, we can be we can be diligent with our our spatial distancing. You know, our our social distancing is the new buzzword. Yeah. We can be diligent with all that stuff, but I think the harsh reality is that there's so many people out there that wonder how they can get into aviation or won't get started. And just by what you and I are doing is keeping interest alive. I think that, you know, my good buddy, uh, Chris Palmer at Angle of Attack, he's got a great thing where you can go and take an online course, learn how to be a pilot. This is a great time to get all your ground school done. Sure. Great time for it. Study, learn, become educated, maybe pick up the books and read about something that you have. When's the last time you worked on an E6B computer? Go teach yourself, you know? I mean, there's so many. Do they still sell those? I haven't. (laughs) Right? It's. It, to be all honesty, when I go to teach a private pilot, I have to go back to YouTube and teach myself real quick how to use the darn thing. I've got one it, from like 1995. It's a simple wheels wheel. I'd like to get the one that's, you know, big like a picture window because they see I, if I ever see one out there, I'm going to grab it because I think it's a neat training tool. But I think there's a lot of opportunities for folks to go and, and study up on you know, a part of aviation or, or read about, you know, Corey's been reading his story time stuff about the Idaho backcountry. And, and it's pretty neat learning and being educated on where that came from. I mean, all of you can buy Galen Ralph's book about, you know, the backcountry aviation stuff, but it's neat. So I think if everybody has an opportunity to do such, all we have is time on our hands right now. And I think a lot of people are bored, silly, trying to stay at home, do the right thing. I think a lot of people have a lot of questions on their mind sure. about what's really, really happening. And we don't need to get into that. You know, yeah, we like, can only but, watch so much news or fake news, right? So we got to stay grounded somehow. Yeah, as far as the news goes, we're going to be done as a human race here if we're not careful in the next month. It's, yeah. it's mind-boggling. Yeah. You know, yeah, I've, I've been trying to, showing such. I've been trying to uh, obviously push uh, people starting – on building the kit or ordering plans, at least just take the first step. Yep. And while you have this time, get a set of plans, sit down, review that order. Like a everybody sells like a rudder kit or a starter kit, yep. get, their, get their hands started in some type of construction. But yeah, in the training world, same thing, get the book, start studying books, yep. um, research your instructor or flight school, like do all the legwork now while you can, uh, while you have the time. You betcha. I mean, people want to build airplanes. It's a great time to build an airplane. Talk about isolation. You know, yeah. that's a great time, but have you ever really built an airplane? Go buy a model. 
start with a model and see if you can actually deal with the glue and all the edges and reading instructions. Can you build that little model that sits on your desk? I don't know. The, the amount of time I had at RC playing back in the day and the amount of time and effort, not the money, but the amount of time and, and uh, effort put into it, I probably could have built the whole entire tail section or a fuselage of a real airplane. <laughs> Amen. You know? Amen. Yeah. It's a great time to do such. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, well good, encouraging words. And I'm, and I'm uh, encouraged that, that people like yourself that have had this passion for aviation are still passionate about it and not uh, getting kicked in the gut uh, during this time. I live, I live and breathe it. It's my sanity. You know, it's, it's all I think about. I live and breathe flying. I grew up in the backseat of my dad's helio courier and I've been around an airplane my short 50 years of life. It's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is no other option other than. No, there, oh. there is no other option. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for taking a few minutes out of your day, several few minutes out of your day to talk to me uh, today and to be an encouragement to others in aviation. I and, enjoyed uh, it. I don't want to be done yet. Okay. <laughs> no, I appreciate your time big time. And, uh, you know, any question, there's no such thing as a bad one. I'm all about promoting aviation in a positive light. And you can take your kids flying. Absolutely. Well, I hope to meet up with you this year, either at High Sierra or sooner than that at Osh. Fingers crossed that Osh is going to be everything that it's supposed to be. Let's go. Let's just go flying. Let's go flying. You should come out and hang out with our uh, Cowboy Stolrat crew out here on the West. And Trent and I fly daily together and we could make, make uh, some fond memories. Let's do that. Let's do that this summer. Say when. Sounds good. All right. Thanks Come a lot, on. Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here on the Experimental Aircraft channel for the video podcast and or podcast. These episodes will be available on YouTube as well as all the popular podcast platforms. Thanks for watching or listening. We'll catch you next time.